When I mention the words public speaking, what type of emotion does that evoke? Fear? Concern? All-out panic? Today, I'm going to share my journey with public speaking, tools and tactics I'm using to develop this skill, and why I believe we all need to master the art of storytelling. This is yet another strength we can build together. As always, thanks for listening to the View 112 podcast. Welcome to the View 112 podcast. I'm Janita Morris. As an avid reader, writer, and businesswoman, I'm passionate about literacy and self-development. Here, I think out loud and share my perspective on life, balancing a career, and building a writing business. Let's get into it. Hello, today is Monday, September 18th. This week kicks off one of the busiest weeks of the year, but I am ready. I get up for weeks like this. So many fun things going on here in D.C. and just in my life. It's Congressional Black Caucus Week, and I am attending an event on Wednesday. My parents are coming in town from Atlanta, and two of my college girlfriends are in town this week for a wedding. So it's a huge week for me at work, too, and I just got over the midterm hump last night, turning in all of my assignments on time before midnight. So God is good. I'm having a great week and um, I'm pumped up for what's to come. I've been inspired by the topic of public speaking a lot lately. And yesterday I got an incredible opportunity to facilitate a keynote for students of Gallaudet University. After presenting yesterday, I knew I needed to talk about public speaking on the podcast. Allow me to briefly (laughs) share my journey with public speaking. Growing up, I've had a lot of opportunities to speak in front of large groups of people. I grew up attending a mega church, Ebenezer AME Church in Fort Washington, Maryland. Shout out to them. Um, I grew up in that church with thousands of members. Not only am I comfortable around a lot of people as a result of that, but I had a lot of times in which I've spoken, I've read scripture, I've sang in the choir, etc., in front of a lot of people. In school, I also um, was a dancer and I participated in different dance groups and I performed in front of all types of crowds. In college, I aced my public speaking class with little to no effort and over 10 years of professional experience I've presented in front of groups of varying sizes, not really giving much thought to my skills as a public speaker. A few things that happened to me dramatically changed all of that. Now I'm able to pinpoint it down to really just one area, and that's feedback. When I started to get feedback about my presentation skills, I was about 28 years old. I had probably been public speaking for probably about 20 years at that point, in all seriousness, since I was like eight, probably, maybe younger. My mom had major anxiety with public speaking. She used to take beta blockers and all kinds of stuff. Sorry, mom, if I'm telling all your business. Uh, But since then, or to help her with that, she signed up for Toastmasters. And for those of you who aren't familiar, Toastmasters is a national organization that promotes and helps people with their public speaking skills. And they have chapters all over the country. And we attended a local chapter for a, a meeting for a local chapter of Toastmasters. And I just went 
in support of my mom and really just for sport, thinking like, I could run the program. I'm such a great public speaker. Uh, And we attended the meeting. My dad went as well. And we were in Toastmasters for, I want to say, I don't know, maybe six or seven months, maybe longer, but I think six or seven months. And the first meeting we went to, you had to go around and introduce yourself and share some things about you and talk about why you were there and what you were looking to get out of Toastmasters. And I think from that first meeting, there may have been like 20 people, maybe 20 people in the room. And they, at Toastmasters in these meetings, they do activities that help you with your public speaking. And I think the warm-up activity was they would give you a topic to speak about in a time frame. So for example, they would say, talk about your favorite music and you would have three minutes to talk about it. And your goal was to fill that time with as many thoughts as possible and conveying or evoking a certain idea for that time frame. And I recall people volunteering and they were asking for more volunteers. And I remember <laughs> boldly raising my hand because I felt confident and I want my mom to know like, see, public speaking is easy, et cetera. And uh, I remember everybody being impressed, like, oh, we rarely get a first time or two a meeting that has volunteered to, to speak. And so uh, I get up there and I remember thinking I had no problem. I was ready to nail it. And three things that Toastmasters uses, they use a lot of things, but these three tools are used in Toastmasters meetings to help you develop your public speaking skills. So as I stood up, well, I'd already saw it with other people and I had participated in using some of the skills, but I really experienced it once I got up to speak. One of the tools is they have a sheet for everyone to go around and they fill out, it's kind of a survey in which they're critiquing your public speaking skills and they write down feedback on that sheet. And then at the end of your presentation, they people will go around and read what they observed or people can just give you your sheet at the end. Two, the second uh, tool that they use at Toastmasters is a clicker for when you say things like um and uh while you're talking. Every time you say one of those things, there's like a clicking sound. Somebody clicks and they count how many times you say it. And then third, they have a timer in the back of the room. And when you're getting close to that time frame, so for example, if you're being given three minutes, when you get to two minutes and 30 seconds, it'll flash a yellow light at you. And when your time is up, it will flash red. And if you go over your time, if I recall, cause this was about 10 years ago, it will start flashing red and counting how long you've gone over your time. And let me tell you, the first time that I heard that clicker was the first time in my life I realized I even used the word um while publicly speaking and that it was a problem and how often that I used it. It it probably wasn't until the second or third or fourth click that I really actually started to get nervous. It was a bit unnerving and I realized I literally went from arrogant to nervous in a matter of, you know, a couple of minutes. I got incredibly, I went in incredibly smug, now that I think about it, to very conscious about 
what it is that I was saying, my mannerisms, how long I was talking, and that people were critiquing it. And from then on, it really changed the way that I perceived myself as a public speaker. I became keenly aware of my opportunities in public speaking. And anytime, even now, if I'm concerned that people are critiquing my public speaking skills instead of listening to the content I'm delivering, it makes me extremely nervous. It doesn't matter if the size of the crowd is two people or 2,000 people. If that is my perception, I get nervous. I have spent a lot of time learning how to quell my nerves, and I've discovered that I have a larger return on investment in building better public speaking skills than I do on just focusing on how not to be nervous. So I'm going to share with you a couple of things that I do. Number one, read all the books. Of course, (laughs) you guessed it. I was going to say that. Previously on the podcast, I've shared some books that I've read in regards to public speaking. I just picked up two new books that I'm going to read. And the first one is called How to Develop Self-Confidence and Influence People by Public Speaking by Dale Carnegie. And the second is called Fierce Conversations, Achieving Success at Work and in Life, One Conversation at a Time by Susan Scott. In the Carnegie book, he highlights the importance of preparing, but also shares the preparation tactics of famous public speakers, which brings me to the second thing that I do. I study what great looks like. I was just recently inspired by Apple's SVP of retail, Angela Ahrens, and she presented at Apple's fall product announcement last week, which was broadcast live from the new Steve Jobs Theater, which was beautiful. And I've seen a lot of clips of Angela speak, and I've noticed that she does, I've noticed the things that she does to avoid saying, um, there's a lot of times that when she's ready to, you can tell that she wants to say, um, or she's pausing between thoughts, or she's about to move from one thought to the next. And one tactic I've heard of, but I've seen her master very well, is just to take a pause. If you just pause for a moment, when that word um is about to come out, you can avoid saying it. And I've seen her do that quite a few times. I know these tactics help when preparing and doing it often, which is why Angela is so good at it. Other people I study are the pastor at my church, Delman Coates. He's an incredible public speaker. Um, One of my business icons is Bazoma St. John and sports journalists Michael Smith and Jamel Hill, who host ESPN's Sports Center at six o'clock. So many others that I'm inspired by and motivated by and influenced by. And when I see someone who is a great public speaker, I always take notes about what I think makes them a great public speaker. And then I take those things and I put them into practice. I've said this before too, which brings me to number three, is putting it into practice. I try to put myself into situations of all kinds that require me to speak publicly so I can work on these things. I'm not sure if or when my really big moment will happen where I'll need to deliver some incredible speech or presentation. But when it does happen, I'm sure I'll be nervous. But one thing I'm sure of too is I'll be ready. Hello. I do not shy away from opportunities. I may cringe for a second. A little wave of panic may ensue. But the next second, I am on with it. 
And it's that same confidence. I'm, I have that same confidence I had when I raised my hand at Toastmasters, like, yep, I'm ready to do it and face what happens. It's in those situations, being being available to speak publicly, even when I feel uncomfortable, even when I'm not familiar with the content, even if I'm worried about the crowd, that I continue to force myself to do it so that I'm prepared at a moment's notice. Um, and that brings me back to Sunday. I, at the last minute, was asked to facilitate this presentation for Gallaudet students. And I wasn't familiar with the keynote. I wasn't sure of how many people were going to be there. I had never presented the material before. I just saw the keynote literally the day before. And I had a lot of schoolwork to do. I just told you I had midterms. So I didn't even have an opportunity to practice. And I just knew going into it, I was going to be nervous. One of the tactics that I like to do at the beginning of a presentation, anytime I'm able to, is introduce myself and then go around and have the group introduce themselves. Or I like that presentations kick off with like a video or something like that. Because if I first get up there and I have jitters, it will allow me to kind of get those first few minutes of jitters out of the way while I'm standing in front of everybody, but a video is playing. So no one's like paying attention and I can like slow my heart rate down and calm down and get into it. Or while people are going around and introducing themselves, the attention is not on me and I can calm my nerves in that way. So I was already prepared to do that. Just maybe like six minutes before I had a coworker who is hard of hearing and was there to help me facilitate the presentation, he suggested that I also sign in the beginning of the presentation, welcome, thank you for coming. And um, I was like, again, I'm not, my mind is already on, I need to deliver this presentation. Now is not the time, I know this is gonna sound weird of me of all people, but now is not the time for me to learn a new skill set five minutes before this presentation. But he was adamant. He taught me the sign. It was very easy. I practiced it. And because I already know a little bit of ASL, I, I already knew how to say my name is Janita and spell Janita out. And so all I really had to say was, thank you for coming. My name is Janita. And then hand it over to him for him to introduce himself and people go around and do introductions. And it turned out great. He actually had a little joke once I handed it over to him. He introduced himself and he was like, that's all she knows. I just taught her those signs this morning and it, everybody laughed and it was a cute little opening and introduction. I didn't have any nerves though. I wasn't nervous going into it. And so, you know, after everyone went around though and still introduced themselves because I had that in play, I, I felt even more comfortable. And then I went into the presentation and I wound up, I thought I was going to need the keynote notes to really stay on course and make sure I was saying everything I needed to say. But it turned out that I was able to facilitate the material uh, quite comfortably. I covered the material and I was able to make it relevant to that audience and connect with them in that way. And I think it's because though I've never presented that keynote before, it's because I've been in situations where I've had to present similar content or similar concepts or themes or, or things that I've said over and over again in other meetings or other presentations or just out loud from one-on-one -on -one with someone that I felt comfortable going over that information. So it's the act of practicing it that I know made me comfortable for delivering it. 
this week. So those are the three things that I'm focused on right now to enhance my public speaking skills. I'm reading those two books. I'm going to put some things that I learned from those books into practice. I continue to study what great looks like. And then I practice, practice, practice. I thrust myself into situations in which I have to have practical applications of the things that I'm learning. Finally, I want to talk a bit about the art of storytelling. I'm sure when I first heard this concept in business a few years ago, I rolled my eyes like storytelling, come on. But now I'm a big believer in it. As a saleswoman at heart, I've seen the value of connecting people to an idea, a product or service through storytelling. And here's an example. I really enjoy drinking wine. Okay, for my friends who listen to this podcast, I know you are laughing and that's, you know, that's no secret. I really like red blends and red wines. And here in Virginia at the local P.F. Chang's, they have two different red blends. And for a long time, when I used to go and I used to go every Friday, I could not remember which one I liked. And I know it seems simple to just take a picture of the label or, you know, now in the days of apps and wine journal apps and stuff like that, you can write these things down, but I could not remember and I wasn't using my technology in that way. And every time I would go, I would rely on basically the bartender to either tell me which one it is that I liked or simply taste both of them. And I would be like, oh, this is the one, this is the one. And I would try to remember, and then same thing, next week, I would forget. One day, I went, and the bartender was like, let me tell you the story of Kobe Groom. Kobe was born with a heart defect and underwent two open-heart surgeries, uh, one at the age of eight and one at the age of 10. Kobe asked his dad, who is a winemaker, to create a wine to be sold in which the proceeds would go to heart research. Now, Kobe is 19 years old, um, last I checked, and the vineyard has raised close to a million dollars in heart research. From the moment the bartender told me that story, I have never forgotten the name of the red blend I enjoy at that restaurant. It's called Kobe Red. Every time I go in, I know exactly, well, they typically know, but I know exactly what it is. I want Kobe Red. I wanted to share some thoughts about Uber and the power of storytelling as well. When Uber first launched, I remember being connected to their slogan that Uber was everyone's private driver. And I think slogans and advertising and sales and having that catchy phrase was really the thing when it comes to connecting people to an audience. I certainly was connected to that idea of luxury, as I'm sure a lot of people were, and the, and the brand was very popular. By now, I'm sure you know all about Uber's issues and the resulting turnover, even at the highest levels. Last week, I saw Bazoma St. John on Recode. Bazoma St. John is their chief brand officer officer at Uber. And she was on a panel talking about Uber and the power of storytelling and how she's using it to change the narrative of the company. She wants to show all sides of the company and tell all kinds of stories about the company, not just the negative ones that you see in the news. She's not trying to shy away from those negative ones. She just knows there are other stories to tell and she wants to paint the whole picture about the company. And there was a man in that audience that told Bose he had a son in college and that it's a huge relief for him as a dad to get 
a notification on his phone that his son had ordered an Uber at 3 a.m. And he wanted, his question was, if Uber had been tracking the reduction of drinking and driving incidents on college campuses. Now, on hindsight of thinking about that, she didn't answer his question about Uber doing research on the reduction of drinking and driving accidents, but she highlighted that those are the type of stories that she wants to connect people to with Uber, is that Uber is your kid's safe ride home from college in lieu of being in a car after drinking and, you know, driving after drinking or being in a car with friends after a night out. Later on Instagram, Bose also stated that it was a tough interview and she felt like she was in the hot seat. And after looking at that interview, I think anyone would have been rattled. I don't know if you all are familiar with the journalist Kara Swisher. She's notorious for being a tough interview and asking the tough questions in Silicon Valley. And she very much backed her reputation during that interview. She gave Bose a run for her money. And I think that uh, Bose was very composed and she still got her message through. She's a public speaking and brand pro, which is why I'm sure she has that title of chief branding officer. And so it just got me thinking about, again, storytelling, but how we speak in public and what messages we are conveying. And that brings me to what I want to ask you all is what messages and stories are you crafting about yourself, your business, your product, your service? What stories and narrative, or I'm sorry, we are telling stories, I want to say, and narratives all the time, regardless of if we know it or not. So it's time to be deliberate about it. What are you saying out loud about you? Whatever it is, people believe it. So make sure it's the story that you want. This is something I've been working on myself. That's it for me today. I have a whole lot of week to get into. So thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe and rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Email me any questions or comments at Janita Morris at view112.com. That's J-E-A-N-I-T-A-M-O-R-R-I-S at view112.com. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.